Praise God. Amen. If you'll remain standing uh, as the lovely brothers and sisters that were present this morning found out, I'm not starting early to get out early. He that hath ears to hear needs to hear. So I uh, I tried really hard and kept it under an hour and 40 minutes this morning, so we'll see how that works tonight. <laughs> uh, you know what that's called? Honoriness. That's just me just poking at you just a little bit here. Praise God. So, uh, if you were not here this morning in the auditorium, this morning was part A. Tonight is part B. So, if you want the whole thing, you'll have to go back and listen to part A. Okay? Praise God. So, uh, just to kind of tie the two together, I'm going to start here. Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalms 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And then Romans 4, verses 6 and 7. Romans 4, 6 and 7. David is quoting Psalms 32, 1 and 2. He's quoting it. But notice, you'll notice a a difference between the two. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You may be seated. You will find... uh, Throughout the New Testament, when uh, an Old Testament uh, verse is quoted, it doesn't always match up exactly the way it's translated in the Old Testament versus the way it's spoken in the New Testament. Sometimes that's strictly a matter of the Greek words are translated a little differently than the Hebrew words were. Sometimes it's the Lord clarifying a point. Sometimes it is actually him changing the point in the New Testament quotation. And uh, the primary difference is that in Psalms 32, the word used is transgression. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. But in the New Testament, Paul says it, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about one of the most uh, critical things that any child of God needs to understand. The original sin in heaven was not pride. The original sin in heaven was iniquity. And iniquity, iniquity, is the uh, 
choosing my will over God's will. So we think of sin as being doing wrong things, things like the world, and uh, not doing the right things. So we 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 automatically connect uh, sin with an offense against the Word of God. Shall doing the shalls, nots, and uh, not doing the shalls. Okay, but the root of all of that is something different completely. Can I make this statement to you? And I will say it without apology. Those of you that are desiring to walk with God and please God and think that they are struggling with sin, you are not. Your struggle is not sin. Your struggle is not temptation. It's not. And as long as you're dealing with the symptom and you don't identify and deal with the root, you will never get victory. Ever. I'm going to say this again. Some of you need to hear this. You really, you really want to go to heaven. You really do desire to go to heaven. But, you know, you think my flesh is so wrong. I'm constantly committing sin. Either the sin of... Uh, of doing what I shouldn't do or not doing what I should do. I, what is wrong with me? I keep committing sins. Sin is the symptom. There is a root that produces all sin. Because sin is an action. And even if you want to describe not doing what I should be doing... That is an action. You say, no, there's no action. No, no, a choice is made. A Holy Ghost-filled person doesn't neglect prayer. They choose to not pray. They choose to put something else as a priority in their life over prayer. That's a choice. It's an act. That's why it's sin. And sin is an act that's a result of a decision. You say, well, that's my problem. No, it's not your problem. No, that's the symptom of your problem. I said this this morning. I I can't tell you how much. I wish somebody had taught me this 62 years, 61 years ago, 62 in February. When I first received the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody had explained this to me. I wish I'd have understood this. Because I have struggled with years, for years, trying to overcome certain things. You do well for a while and you don't. Prayerlessness. It is, as much as I believe in prayer, it is so easy to get busy and choose to not pray. No, no, I, I don't choose to, I'm saying it again. I don't choose to not pray. I just, just time passes and I don't pray. No, no. When I choose to make anything a priority over a prayer, that's an act. It's a decision. When I know what the Word of God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
when, when I know the Word of God says that I'm supposed to seek God, seek His kingdom first in order of time and priority, when I know the Word of God says that, I don't neglect prayer. Well, I didn't even think about it. No, that's not true. You think you didn't think about it. But when you decided to put someone, something else as a priority over prayer, you decided that. Well, I, I've got, I'm under a lot of pressure. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Well, the Bible says what to do when you're under pressure. you got stuff going on. You cast all your cares. You don't let pressure and things pressure you into doing that which is displeasing to God. Now, there are, I, I am not the pastor here, and so therefore there are people here that I do not know. And because I do not know you, I don't know if this is your, because I don't know you, because I don't know if this is your very first service, if you come regularly, if you have recently been saved, or whatever. I don't know that. And I will acknowledge you if, if you uh, are just visiting tonight, either the first time or you've been here a couple of times. Uh, there will be points and times in this uh, message that you're going to go, huh? What is he talking about? And it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with your intellect. The reason you will not understand what's being said is because there has to be some level of exposure and effort having been made for this to really affect you. And so, therefore, I apologize to you in advance. I'm only trying to obey God. And so I pray that somehow the Lord would give you the grace that you can receive out of this what you can. And, uh, and that those who need to hear it will receive it. Uh, I'm going to do something different than I almost ever do. I'm going to be reading some stuff tonight that I wrote down. I'm going to, if I'm reading, I'm going to tell you I'm reading. I'm not going to act like I'm preaching while I'm reading. Now, if you know me at all, you know I have a big problem with performing a prepared script. I'm not an actor. I'm not a performer. And I don't have any problem with God giving me something that I've written down. But if I'm going to read that to you, I want you to know I'm reading. Now, it doesn't take much because when I'm reading, my voice and cadence of speaking is different than when I'm speaking. So it's pretty clear. So if I forget to tell you, uh, you, you'll pick up when I'm reading something that I've previously written and when I'm not. The reason this is the case is because I really felt very strongly uh, in prayer this morning early as... Uh, the Lord gave me this morning and gave me this at the same time, and I, and, and I knew that it was supposed to fit together. This morning had an ability to be somewhat evangelistic. Tonight is more apostolic discipleship, if you want to call it that. I am not preaching. I am teaching. I am not a preacher. I preach when it's the absolute will of God. Uh, and I, I, I highly value the, the I highly Respect the value of preaching. I am not one. I don't want to be one. I don't enjoy preaching. I preach when it's absolutely the will of God. What is the difference? Well, the difference is not 
delivery method. The difference is the depth you go to. Preaching proclaims. Teaching explains. Not even, not even remotely the same thing. Because when we first come to God, just like uh, brand new babies uh, or toddlers, you don't, you can't explain to a two-year-old uh, why not to do something. The other, as my wife said this morning, last year, uh, the pastor sold his house and they live with us a while. And this year, uh, the young son sold his house miraculously and now they're living with us. And I heard him try to explain to his seven-year-old why he should not go down these wooden steps that are shiny in socks. Because if you do and you're in a hurry, you're going to slip and you're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself very badly. But that seven-year-old, believing he is immortal, could not receive that. He did not receive that. His dad had to get a little bit uh, plainer to him. Okay? So he ended up just having to say, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you agree with me or not. Do not go down these steps with socks on your feet and no shoes. So a sign of immaturity is when I have to be proclaimed to and all I'm supposed to do is obey it without understanding it. But as I grow in God... It's not enough, and it shouldn't be enough for you to have something proclaimed to you. I should want it explained to me. Why? Not so I can decide whether or not I like it or whether or not I agree with it, but I I need to understand why it's important for me. And so I'm saying to you tonight, this is not preaching. This is teaching because the purpose of this is to explain. And I don't know how far I'll get into this. Uh, The Holy Ghost will determine that. When he's done, I'm done. I'm more than happy to be done. I was in the video studio this week and recorded 30 lessons. And so my voice has already started out somewhat used. Okay? So when he's done, I'm happy to sit down. So you just pray. But what you really need to be praying for is that you receive fast. That you don't require him to have to repeat stuff to you over and over again before you get it. (laughs) Because he's not going to let me go on to the next point till I get a release from that point. So, uh, we're going to talk about iniquity. Iniquity. If you will go to uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7 beginning with verse 21, and I have taught these verses a lot in different places, uh, either mentioning them or actually teaching them in detail uh, a lot over the last couple of years because this is something the Lord's very concerned about. And when you when you read this, these verses, if they don't concern you, uh, we need to have a prayer meeting for you right now. And I don't, I don't mean that facetiously. So, Matthew seven twenty one. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what does it mean to work iniquity? Well, whatever it means, it's important enough to know that if you work iniquity, you're not going to be saved. No, you know, and he's not talking about people here that just came and sit on seats and did nothing else. He's talking about those involved in some kind of ministry. I didn't say preachers. I said those involved in some kind of ministry and, and not just involved in ministry, but having a supernatural confirmation to that ministry. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, no man can call Jesus Lord, according to Paul, except by the Holy Ghost. So if they were calling him Lord, and he did not deny, he didn't say, you don't have a right to call me Lord. In fact, he said, many will say, Lord, Lord. So the point is, and this is the point. <laughs> you can do everything that you're, you've told, been told to do that's quote unquote required for salvation and end up lost because of iniquity. Now, I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm trying to inform you. I'm trying to enlighten you. That's what the Holy Ghost wants to do here tonight. So notice this, please. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. In the Greek, there's literally many mighty miracles or wondrous miracles. Now, from an apostolic's perspective, this is a really good description of a spiritual apostolic. Wow. They're not just sitting back. They're involved. And they're involved in the spirit. And uh, they prophesy. And uh, they cast out devils. And they actually are used of God to perform miracles. And the fact that they place such emphasis on the phrase, in thy name, demonstrates clearly that they understood the importance of the name. So you can't call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. You can't do these things. You say, well, this was in Matthew. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. No, you're missing the point. (laughs) 
Not everyone that saith unto me, okay, many will say to me, in that day. It's not talking about during this period of time. In that day, in the day of judgment for the church. You do understand there's two judgments. The one for the church and the one for the world at the great white throne judgment. You and I are not going to be vulnerable in the judgment at the great white throne. The church is not going to be. The church is going to be judged. Well, I don't want to get into all this, but the the church is going to be judged after the rapture. Immediately. In fact, without without really getting off into some tangent, uh, I believe I can biblically prove that everybody that's ever been baptized in Jesus' name and or filled with the Holy Ghost is going to be raptured no matter what condition they're living in. Because you're not going to get a second chance in, in the, what we call the Great Tribulation. You're not going to be left here and somehow have your head cut off as martyrdom and be saved after you rejected the Lord during the time of grace. And we know that from clear scripture. I read this morning about the uh, the man who was at the wedding feast without a wedding garment on, who was bound hand and foot and cast right out of that wedding feast into outer darkness. I also we also are aware of that at the uh, at the uh, uh, the judgment of the talents. One had five talents, he gained five more. The Lord said, well done. One had two, he gained two more. The Lord said, well done. One said, I had a talent. I was afraid of you because I think you're a hard man and you, your expectations are unfair, excuse the paraphrase. And the Lord said, okay, according to your opinion of me, I'm going to judge you with that. Take his talent, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness and give his talent to the one that's got ten. He was sent from hell at the exact, from the exact same place of judgment for reward that the other two got a reward. So two got a reward. The third one was sent from hell from there. So the point I'm making, Jesus is saying, many will say to me in that day. Now by this time, if you are at all, uh, you love God and you reverence God. King James actually would interpret that fear of God, but we reverence God. Uh, I love my father, but I also reverence my father. And even though I was six feet tall at age 12 and he was never more than 5'8 my entire life, that was the biggest 5'8 you ever seen in your life. Because I never saw him as smaller than me. I outweighed him at 12. He never weighed more than 145 pounds my entire life. But he was the biggest 5'8", 145 pounder you've ever seen in your life. I reverenced him. So the, the problem here is this. If the Lord rejected them, what was the problem? What was the, what's the difficulty? Well, he gives us a hint in verse 23 when he says, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now wait, God knows everything. How can he say that? Because we don't know what the Greek word is here. The Greek word that's translated never knew you is the word uh, to know in an approved relationship. In other words, your walk with me never met my expectations. 
I never knew you in an approved relationship. They knew him. But he never approved of them. Wait a minute. I thought God loved everybody. He does. He loves all of his children. He does. I, I, you know, a mother's love is just amazing. How can a mother love someone that turned into a murderer? Well, a mother can do that. While she would be very much opposed and saddened by the action of a child that became a murderer. There's a connection there that's really hard to break. So God loves all of us, and He especially loves those of us that have, have, have come to Him. But Him loving us and Him approving of where we are is not the same thing. Now, if you, if you, uh, uh, know anything about the belie- easy believism of the, of the church doctrine today, you know, God is so good and He's so kind and so merciful. This is the message. You can live pretty much however how you like and you'll still be saved. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Second Peter chapter 2 says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of sin. They preach to people, liberty, liberty, you're free. You're free. You're not under bondage to rules. Well, you're not under bondage to rules, but we're all under the authority of the Word of God. And nobody has a right to tell you it's okay to disobey the Word of God and think you're going to be saved. (laughs) There have been people that have attended this church for years, and they have friends. And I'm sure their friends are nice people. I'm sure they are. And, uh, And they are sincere people. And they can't really accept the word of God because if they accept the word of God that means their friends are lost it's not about it's not about your friends it's about the word it's about the word we don't judge the word by people you don't judge the word by people John chapter 12 Jesus says I haven't come to judge you. There's one that judgeth you. The word that I have spoken will judge you in that day. And so while we place judge, judge and jury and God by saying, well, that's not really all necessary. And I, I, I love my friends too much to disturb our relationship by me trying to tell them something that they're not going to like. You just play judge, jury, and God all wrapped up in one. And you can believe they're saved all you want. But if they're, if you and I and them are not living by the word of God. I quoted the verse this morning. First John chapter two. If we say we love God and do not his commandments, we are liars spoken by the apostle of love. The apostle of love said that. That's what they, they call him. John's the apostle of love. Peter, he's harsh, and, and Paul is too strict. But John is the apostle of love. Yeah, he is so kind and loving. He said, if you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. That's pretty loving, isn't it? 
According to the Word of God, it is. But here's the point. <laughs> These people appear as though they were obeying the commandments. Then why did he say, I've never approved of you in the relationship you're trying to have with me on your terms? And there is a day, in that day, in that day, many will say to me, in that day, in that day, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Now that's pretty strong language. Especially when iniquity is a word that's not in our daily vocabulary and we don't really know what it means. Well, here it comes. I'm not going to tell you what I think it means. I'm going to let Jesus tell you what the word iniquity means. Okay? So we read verse 21. Verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that, what? He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, you skip down to verse 23 and it says, And and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So in verse 21, the issue was whether or not they were doing or not doing the will of the Father. In verse 23, the consequences were, were labeled as iniquity and you were he said, depart from me, you work iniquity. You, you may prophesy. You may have the Holy Ghost been baptized in Jesus' name. You may prophesy. You may cast out devils in my name. You may do many wonderful works. But those things alone are not affirmation that you and I are where we need to be. Because what is the number one criteria? What is it? Come on now. What is it? Doing the will of my Father which is in heaven. Doing the will of my Father as opposed to not doing the will of the Father. And what is the reason I would not do the will of the Father? You said it. To do my own will. And I said it this morning, I'm going to say it tonight because I'm actually talking on the subject. I just talked around it this morning so you could kind of get ready for tonight. Okay? I'm serving God. Okay, all right. You mean you're keeping the do's and you're not doing the don'ts. That's serving God. Really? You can... (laughs) In the Old Testament, you could get by with it. In the Old Testament, 10% of your money was God's. And once you gave God His part... You were free to do whatever you wanted with the rest of it. In the New Testament? Nah. No. I've had people say to me, well, tithes is not in the New Testament. You're right. Just like Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of their heart, we preach tithes because of the hardness of our hearts. Because we cannot accept and we do not accept what the Bible actually says. 10% of what I've got does it belong to God? 100% of what I've got belongs to God. Every bit of my... 
Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. So when the Word of God says, pray, and I choose to do something else because it's more important to me, what am I doing? I'm working iniquity. And what is working iniquity? I'm putting what I want, what I think, what I like ahead of what God says. Now I said this this morning. TV preachers can't preach this stuff. Because they can't raise enough money to stay on TV if they preach this stuff. So what, what's the number one message on TV? Come on. Prosperity. You send the seed money in here, you're going to get rich. Really? 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 The prosperity doctrine is a lie from the pits of hell. The scripture says, some say that gain is godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul directly contradicts the prosperity message. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. So he doesn't love the poor? We believe everybody ought to be equal. That's called communism. We're not all equal. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us are healthier than others. Some of us have had more opportunity for education than others. And God puts us all in the same body together. And the test is to see how we're going to treat one another when we're not all alike. That's the test. That's the test. And there will never be a time where everybody in the body of Christ has the same amount of money in the bank and the same possessions. It's never going to happen. Not in this life. Not going to happen. Why? Because there has to be a test. Can I have little and not resent my brother and sister that's got more? Can I have much and not feel like I'm better than the one without? Can I go to a church with a rainbow of colors sitting around rather than needing to go to a church where we all look the same? And let me tell you something. I can't believe I'm about to say this. It is no more right. Let me back up and go the other way. It is just as wrong to go to an all-white church as it is to go to an all-black church. Or an all, well, Hispanics come in all colors, so it's a language, not a race or a culture. Really, it's not. You know, us Anglos, we're so ignorant about all that. Because we thought if you spoke in, in Spanish, everybody's the same. And we learned the hard way. It's not true. Because Spanish-speaking people don't see themselves the same. Does everybody, is everybody speaking English the same? No. So just because they have a different language doesn't make them all one any more than everybody that speaks English is one. We're not all one, are we? It takes just as much Holy Ghost for those of us that speak 
English to be one as it does for those that speak Spanish to be one and for all of us even speaking different languages to be one. Only God can do that. And I, I know, I know, I got this too, you see? You see this stuff? It is really easy to fall in the trap of I want, I like, I will. Apple didn't invent I will. I will pre-existed all the way back to the garden. But we didn't, it didn't pre-exist there either. It pre-existed in heaven. <laughs> oh, let me read it to you. I'm so far from these notes that it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter at all. It's just not important. So we're going to read Ezekiel 28:11. I don't know who prayed. Yeah, I hope you were praying the will of God, right? Whatever the will of God is, right? Ezekiel 28:11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone uh, was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. And the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast in the, in the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways. From the day thou, that thou wast created. Till iniquity was found in thee. Now. If God kicked iniquity out of heaven how's he going to let those that work iniquity in heaven let me say that one again if God kicked iniquity out of heaven how is he going to let those who work iniquity even though they call him Lord and claim he is their God How's he going to let them in heaven? Now, I don't have to say this for those that have been around here a long time, but uh, the Lord said to Jeremiah, uh, don't regard their faces. I've made your forehead harder than theirs. I got a, you know, Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I got a double portion of Jeremiah's. I'm hard-headed and very focused. Very focused. Okay? And the problem is, for years, I thought I had to do something for God. Because that's the, those are the prepositions I was raised with. To live for God, to work for God. Except the problem is, there's no place in the Bible that teaches anything remotely close to that. God said, if I needed anything, I wouldn't ask you. I'm not supposed to live for God. I'm supposed to not live and let Him live in me and through me. 
And I'm not supposed to work for God. I'm supposed to let Him work through me. Those are not, there's not this real thin hair narrow line separating those two. It's uh, one rim of the Grand Canyon versus the other. You can stand on one rim of the Grand Canyon and look right across the other. But if you're going to walk there, it'll take you a full day or so if you survive it. Because one day, long time ago, uh, long time ago, we started out walking the trail down in the Grand Canyon. And, and every little bit you go down in there, it was, when we left the rim, it was about 70 degrees. It was, it was very comfortable. The longer we went down in there, the hotter it got. Isn't that amazing? And after we had walked down these switchback trails for about an hour, it was so hot. And we had heard stories that they had to come in with helicopters. And the basket let down to get people out of there who couldn't get back up. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Well, after walking down that hour, I'm thinking, where's the helicopter? (laughs) Somebody get me out of here. It was hot. And I'm looking back up this trail we came down and I'm going, oh, God have mercy on us. What have we done? Well, if you drive from one point on the Grand Canyon Rim, say the South Rim where most of the tourist stuff is, and you drive all the way around by the shortest route to get to that same point on the North Rim of the Grand Canyon so you can stand over there and look across to that same point you were at, it's about a five to six hour drive. That's how close those two things are. The Lord is not splitting hairs here. You say, well, somebody asked me the other day, uh, are we really the Lord's slave? Nobody is the Lord's slave against their will. Nobody. Paul said, if you come to God being a free man, you're the Lord's slave. If you come to the Lord a slave, you're the Lord's free man. But what is that really talking about? What is it talking about? And when we were having that conversation the other day, guys, I had no clue the Lord was going to have me talk about this. So that wasn't setting you up. It was Jesus setting you up. This is the problem right here. We come to God. We repent of our sins. And we begin to do the do's and not do the don'ts. But just like with the Old Testament attitude... After I've paid my, I've given you your part, the rest of it's mine. Really? So, he says, ye are not your own, you're bought with a price. So what was, what went on in heaven that was a problem? Well, Lucifer was uh, one of the three archangels. They were the three most senior angels. Each one of them had a third of all the existing angels underneath them. And I'm not going to go into all that, uh, the different responsibilities, but they each one had different responsibilities. And it appears as though, it appears as though, that, that, uh, 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 Michael was the warrior angel and that, uh, Gabriel was the messenger angel and that Lucifer was the worship angel. 
And all of that worship that came from all the angels had it passed through him, and he was supposed to let it pass through, pass through him to God. Well, somewhere along the line, he decided, you know, this worship feels pretty good. I'd like a little of it for myself. But then he realized there was nothing for them to worship him for. Because God ruled the heavens. So when the script, when, when some people, they, they, you know, we, we don't know what the word of God says and we say what we think it says, which is really only an approximation of what it says. Lucifer never, has never one time thought he was God. He knew because he was in the throne room, he knew he was a finite being that could only be in one place at one time and he knew God was everywhere. So he is not that stupid or that deceived. He has never believed he was God. And some of us attribute to the devil and his forces the same kind of omnipresence as God has. But Lucifer and his angels are not everywhere at the same time. They can't be. They're finite beings. While they are spirit beings, they are finite beings, and they can only be in one place at one time. And, contrary to a lot of people's opinions, one-third of the angels, Lucifer's angels, were cast out of heaven with him. But God did not loose all one-third of those angels on the earth. In fact, the scripture says there's tens of thousands of angels that have been in chains of darkness reserved under the final judgment all these years. So we're not even dealing with the full complement of one third of the angels that fell with Lucifer. So they certainly are not omnipresent. So Lucifer never believed he was God. What does he say he wanted to be? He wanted to be like God. How about put on the screen for me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'd like to start with maybe verse, well, let me just read with verse 1. Uh, I'll read quickly if you'll be ready to do that. I, have, I don't have this in my text. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Those are two separate events. Our gathering together unto him, go back to one please. Our gathering together unto him is, uh, is what we call the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church, which is the, at the beginning of the seven years that we call inaccurately the great tribulation. Only the last three and a half years of those seven years are the great tribulation. The, those seven years are called either Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble. And the coming of the Lord concludes that seven years. The gathering together of the church unto Jesus begins that seven years. Next verse, please. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as, as from us, as that, that, day of, that the day of Christ is at hand. Next verse. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That day is that one at the end of the seven years. So, one more time I read this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Next. 
who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He knows he's not God. He wants you to believe he is. It's a lie. Now, it goes from there. Next verse. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Next verse. And now ye know that, now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Next verse. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The work that is going on in our world today by the, 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 the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, is iniquity. And the word mystery there doesn't mean that which is compre- incomprehensible. The Greek word mysterion means that which is hidden and not revealed. So the mystery of iniquity is the, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until he is allowed to be revealed. You think the devil wouldn't want to be in charge of the world right now? But he can't be. As long as the church is here and the Holy Ghost is on the earth as Lord in us, he can't be revealed. That's why the previous verse says, uh, we know what withholdeth. Let me read that again one more time. Verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed it says in his time, meaning, but it, there, it, the Greek is not the time of his choosing, but the time of God's choosing. There is a time where God is going to allow him to be revealed to the earth. But it's not his choice. It's not in his power. He's being, that, that word translated withhold is going to be used later in as far as, uh, he who now letteth will let. Uh, in other words, there's someone restraining him. He's being restrained. So what is iniquity? Well, some would say iniquity is lawlessness and thus wickedness. But that's not true. Iniquity is what causes lawlessness and results in great wickedness. And what is that? When Lucifer wanted to be like God, what was it he wanted to do? He wanted to make his own decisions. He wanted to run his own life. He wanted to do that and be allowed to stay in heaven. Now, here in the earth, for this period called time, is the only place in all of time and in all of the universe where anything but the will of God has been allowed to exist for some period of time. It's just like God created a perfect garden and put one tree in it and said, you can do anything you want in the garden, you can eat anything you want in the garden, just not that tree. Why? There had to be a choice. There had to be a choice. Now, I use the internet. I thank God for the internet. It, it allows me to do stuff I couldn't, couldn't do all these years. You know, it's one of my favorite sayings. I'm now able to do stuff I, I didn't, I always didn't know I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to do this. But if there was a tree in the Garden of Eden that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
That tree in our world is the internet. Because the internet gives me access to all things good and all things evil. There is no limit on how much good I can get out of the, the, the uh, uh, internet. I've got uh, six weeks of teaching on spiritual warfare on the, my apostolic iron page or channel on YouTube. I come across people all the time that says, I've watched all of your call to war teaching. And I go, how? Because each one of those weeks is about 24 to 25 hours of teaching and ministry. And there's six of them posted there. The seventh one, you have to go to apostoliciron.com to watch it. It's not posted there. That was 2016. And if you were here, part of that prayer meeting in 2016, you might have some idea why I wouldn't put that on YouTube. But think of that. A hundred and fifty hours of teaching and ministry on spiritual warfare. And people have watched that. It's mind-boggling. There's all kind of good stuff that you can be benefited by. But the same tree that gives you good with just a couple of clicks can take you into depravity that you didn't have any idea existed. Why did God put the tree there? So that we had a choice. Why is this available now? So we have a choice. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And we, you and I, are a part of the generation that's the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. You may not realize it, but this generation was very specifically described in Scripture. This day, the attitudes of this day, the opinions of this day, are very literally described in Scripture and identified as being the last days. Let's put that on the screen just for just for interest's sake. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. Let's listen to this. See if you recognize this at all. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Next verse. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Next verse. Without natural affection. In other words, affection outside of the boundaries that God placed on affection so it can be a positive thing, not a negative thing. False accusers, incontinent, fierce. How about this one? You don't hear this in the media today, do you? Despisers of those that are good. Next verse. Traitors. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Oh, I'm gonna tell you what. When, when our, when the world was primarily an agricultural society and you had to get up before daylight to feed the animals and, and do your chores and then you had some breakfast and then you went out and worked all day because if you didn't get the 
the ground plowed or the seed in the ground or the weeding done or whatever it was you had to do today, then there was no crop. And you not only didn't eat, but you didn't have any excess crop to sell. So you couldn't feed your family and you couldn't take care of anything. And it was like that day after day after day. Somebody had to go collect the eggs and somebody had to get the grain, whatever, whether it was wheat or whatever kind of grain it was. And they had to mill that into flour. And then somebody had to mix that flour with water or whatever it is or oil you make it, mix it with to make dough. And then somebody had to build a fire in the stove. And then somebody had to watch over those, that, that dough in the oven so that it didn't get burned. And all of that just so you could have bread for breakfast. Now you tell me how much time there was for people to get in trouble then. And I don't have to go to the, to the chicken coop to get my eggs. Just open the refrigerator door. They're right there. I don't have to go through that process to have bread to eat. I just open the door, slide out the drawer, take out the loaf of bread, and complain if it's not perfectly fresh. I don't have to milk the cow and churn the milk to get the cream and the butter to rise to the top so I can have some butter to spread on my bread. No, no, no. No, no, it's just right there in a little whatever. It's just there. I don't have to reap the fruit and process it and turn it into jelly or preserve so I've got something to put on top of the butter on the bread. It's just, I just get the jar out and open it up. So with all this time we've got, and no generation thinks it doesn't have any time like this generation. Nobody, no generation has ever considered themselves busier with less time to do stuff than this generation today. Why? Because we're so involved with absolutely worthless stuff. Because it's our culture. It's our culture. And then that person somehow, the Lord deals with them somehow, and they come to church, and God, God convicts them of their sins, and they repent. And now they find out that they, that at least two or three times a week, they're really expected to be in church services for a whole two hours. I'm missing my six-hour video session online with all of my friends to give two whole hours to church. And then he wants me to do what every morning? He wants me to pray? Why, does he think I've got nothing else to do? He, He wants me to read the Bible? How boring is that when I can watch YouTube? Or see what somebody has posted on Instagram. You know, I was sitting in a meeting the other day and I was talking to the media guys and and, uh, (laughs) the subject came up about bandwidth and I started discussing it. And Jalen looks at me funny and goes, you know about that? Well, I chose not to be offended. Uh, yes, Jalen, I know about that. Yeah, I do. (laughs) And I can even send a text message. 
And believe it or not, I, I know how to open emails. And I know that if my phone is making some noise, I slide that little thing, and I could talk to somebody on that thing. Wow. I really know that. I, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to have a little fun there. So <laughs> I'm off my subject, aren't I? Yes. How many times have you heard me say, everything is a test? Everything. Everything's a test. Everything's a test. What's the test? Whose will I'm going to do? Now, I will say this to you. To the flesh, doing God's will and not my own sounds extremely confining. And here's a synonym, restrictive. It might even sound oppressive. It may sound unfair, unjust. But here's the problem. The scripture says, whatever a man is overcome by, he's in bondage to it. I shouldn't tell this, but I will. Because I don't have any clue who, who this was. The pastor said to me the other day, he said, you know, this is a different world we live in. He said, I, I, I always thought fasting, going without food was the challenge. But he said, the youth pastor here is trying to get our kids prepared for whatever. And so he asked them to go three days fast, eating only one meal a day. He said he was told there was virtually no response negative to that at all. Okay, no problem. But when he asked them to fast from social media for three days, he was told there was all kind of kickback from that, murmuring and complaining. <sighs> you're, you're asking us to do what? Because social media... Is the breath we breathe now, isn't it? When I was a kid, we called that being a busybody. I don't mean to be offensive, but it's what it is. You, you mean to tell me honestly, I need to know what time you went to bed last night? And I really want a picture of the dessert you're eating at the restaurant? Really? I mean, Seriously? Somebody needs to get a life. When I need to share the dessert I'm eating to the world, with the world, you go, how badly do you need affirmation? No, but I need somebody to come in and say, that sure looks good. I wish I was there with you. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. Somebody wishes they were here with me, eating this dessert with me. Not me. I don't want to share my dessert with you. There's a good friend of mine that tells this story. I've heard him tell it more than one time. He was here preaching for us. And we went to Chili's when there was a Chili's in town. Now you have to drive a whole 20 minutes to get to Chili's. But anyway, so we were, we went to Chili's. And I'd been talking about molten chocolate cake. And I was, I ordered one. He said, I'll just have some of yours. I said, no, you're not. I'll buy you your own. Happily. 
I'll buy your own, but I'm not sharing mine with you. He said, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not. But I don't want a whole one. Not my problem. The problem was, I was serious and he knew I was serious. I don't mind, I don't mind buying you or yours. I'd be happy to buy you your own. But I'm not sharing mine. He said, that's a bad attitude. No, but it sure was good. I'm not going to send a picture on social media for everybody to see I'm eating molten chocolate cake. Because I might eat two of them. And it's nobody's business. Frankly, I was, I was really wanting to buy him one. Because I was counting on him not eating all of it. Those days are gone. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Like I said, those days are gone. Right. The problem is this. I believe that lie all of my life. That if I was, that if I gave up my will to God, my life would be boring. It would be drudgery. I would become an automaton. I wouldn't even have a personality anymore. Oh, I had had times, I really had had times, where I had I died out to my will because I was in such a jam. I needed God's help, and I knew if I didn't do that, that it wasn't, it wasn't happening. He was trying to get my attention. So I would die out to myself and get his help. But when things got better, it wasn't a sudden thing. It was just a little bit of time here and there, you know. And I just... Eventually went back to that, went back to that. Well, uh, a few days short, 18 days to be exact, short of six months after this building collapsed, I found myself on my face in a little church in Attleboro, Massachusetts, dying to my will once and for all. You see, I'd never gone far enough to really taste and see how good it was. And it so dramatically changed my life, I got angry. I got angry with myself for believing the lie all these years that giving up my will and doing God's will was a negative thing. I had never really tasted abundant life till then. And you've heard me teach it. But you know what casting my cares is every day? You know why since that day, August the 1st, 2003, about 10 o'clock at night, from that point to this day, I've never asked for one thing for myself. I've never asked one thing for my will. Not literally, not one thing for my will. I'm not saying I never, I've never done my will. I mean, I've done that a couple of times without even realizing what I was doing until the Lord says, "Uh, you did it again. Thank you. But you know why that was all about casting my cares? Because you know what casting your care is? I give you my will on this. I give you my will on that. I give you my will on this. I give up my will on that. Whatever you want to do, it's in your hands. And I thank you for it. You know what that produces? 
You know what that produces? You know what giving up your will produces? It's called peace. And Paul described it as peace, peace which surpasses all understanding. And you know what he says that peace will do? It keeps, guards, preserves your heart and mind. What, what happens to a person that goes to sleep when they're on guard duty? Hmm? You don't do it because the consequences are not. No, you don't want that, right? What happens if you show up late to go on guard duty? What happens if you leave early on guard duty? You don't do those things. That's right. You don't do it. Why? Because you know better than to even make that choice. Right? They taught you a lot in three years. So the the question is this. When peace is on guard duty in my life, And he promised that peace would guard and protect and preserve my heart and mind. How does fear get in there? It can't. Because peace is on guard duty. But here's the problem. I can't have peace while I'm holding on to even one care that I want my way on. So what sounds so... Repulsive to the flesh. I'm supposed to give up my will. I can't do what I want to do anymore. It sounds, flesh goes, are you kidding me? I'm going to let somebody else have that kind of control over me. Not the preacher and not the church. We're not talking about the church and the preacher being in control of you. That's not the case. The doors are unlocked. You can walk out anytime you want. Nobody's keeping you here. It's whether or not God is going to be in control or not. Now, if I cast all my cares, meaning everything that is a care to me, I uh, I noted that yet the other day that uh, Ohio State beat Wisconsin yesterday. I know the score, score too, but I won't go that far. Okay, I know that. Uh, Penn State won. I know that Michigan put a whipping on Notre Dame. Praise God. My favorite team is whoever Notre Dame is playing. That's true. Okay? But the problem is, I don't really care about any of those games. Oh, but I had a problem yesterday. Navy played. So, no, this morning I wore gold and blue. Tonight I wore blue and gold. I had to change it up. Right? Okay. Navy plate. The problem is, and you got a taste of this. He knows this, definitely. Okay. Uh, It's like a big deal. And if you've never been in that situation, it sounds stupid to you. It sounds silly to you. But, you know, 
How many times did you say beat Navy in three years? No, seriously. How many times? Every day. Well, it's not just every day. It's sometimes every hour or sometimes more than that, right? I, I, I wish I had $100 for every time I said beat Army in four years. I'd be a very rich man. Everything is punctuated not by a period or an exclamation point, beat Army. Where he was, everything is, 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 is punctuated with beat Navy. It sounds weird to hear that, but I heard it. Okay, I mean, you know, it does. No, really. No. It's weird. But the problem is, I realized I was being brainwashed. We all knew we were being brainwashed. We did it anyway. There was no option. Because when they picked up on you, the fact you weren't saying what needed to be said, then, ooh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Right? So the problem I've got is this. When Navy plays, it matters to me. Now, I've got a choice. I can let that work in my spirit. I can let the, those emotions open a door to my spirit where my peace becomes disturbed. And then at that point, it's not okay for me to follow it. Because it went from being a game to affecting my spirit. So what do I have to do? I do this. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you believe. He said, cast all your cares. I care. That's what he says. I said, well, what, do you, what am I supposed to cast? He said, whatever matters to you. If it doesn't matter to you, you don't have to cast that. It matters to me. I don't want to be up or down when that game's over with and they won or lost. I don't want to. I don't want it. I don't want that affecting my spirit. So what do I do? I have to cast it. And on game day, I'm casting like every other breath. Because I don't want... I, no, 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 I'm making a point here. It may be a silly point to you, but the principle is the principle. I don't want anything affecting my spirit. And what involves my emotions opens a door to my spirit. And I know whether or not I truly cast by my reaction when they win or lose. I don't want my reaction to be one bit different when they win than when they lose. Otherwise, I can't even let myself Pay attention to it. I know Alabama won last night. I know. I know LSU squeaked one out. I know the scores, but I don't care about them. I just, it's just something I know. I, I, football was my favorite since I was literally this high. And as long as it doesn't get my spirit, which means I'm worshiping it. Because what I let into my spirit is an act of worship. Somebody needs to be listening. I, I, I'm a Ravens, uh, I'm not a fan. That's short for fanatic, so I'm not that. But I, I, I'm aware of what the Ravens are doing. I'm aware that the quarterback they have right now is one of the most unique players that's ever been in the entire NFL history. He's, the guy is amazing. But I don't want to get up when they beat Seattle and down when they lose to the Browns. How in the world do you lose to the Browns? Right? 
That just came from someplace. It just, bleh, it's just, you just was there, right? But it doesn't matter what it is. Is the internet wrong? No. It's not wrong unless I'm opening doors to my spirit through it. That's when it gets wrong. Is it wrong to watch this or that or the other? No. Unless it is opening doors to my spirit. And now I'm, it's not entertainment. It's worship. Because what I let in my spirit becomes an idol. And you know what? For most of us, the number one door that opens in our spirit is care. What we care about. Because when I care about something, it's going over and over in my brain. I'm thinking about it. Now, how's this going to go? And what's going to happen here? And over and over and over again. And I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm trying to work it out. I was taught in my training on decision making, I was taught that the number one most important principle of decision making is you collect all the facts. You want to collect all the facts before you make a decision. There's a problem. The most important fact to collect is what's going to happen in the next five minutes. What's going to happen tomorrow? How can I make a decision when I don't know what's going to happen? So therefore, it's impossible to collect all the facts because only God knows tomorrow. He knows the end before the beginning. And so therefore, how can I make a good decision when I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Or next week. Or next month. How can I make a good decision? I can't. So what do I need to do? I need to not follow iniquity, which is my will. But I need to say, okay, Father. This is, I'm concerned about this. I cast this on you. Because I don't know what's best to do here. Because I don't know what tomorrow is going to be. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. My mother-in-law is here. God bless her. She's just turned 90. And we're thankful for the health of the Lord given her. Amen. But I promise you this. She had no idea. The night I walked into the church service. The first time where she was the evangelist. In my white uniform. She had no idea. That 51 years later, I was going to be a part of her family for this long. She had no idea. I had no idea. When I walked in that back door and saw this beautiful woman sitting on that piano playing before church, I had no idea that that was God's choice for me as the other half of me and me being the other half of her for the rest of my life. I had no idea. And I was really interested till I found out she was still 16. I'm 22. I'm a naval officer. I'm a college graduate. She's about to start her senior year of high school. And I flat told God no. 
No, it's not happening. You saw how well that worked. It wasn't her I was rejecting. No. No, whenever I was with her, there was no, there was no, she was raised in a preacher's home and, and she had wisdom and, and, and maturity that was way beyond her years. In fact, it took me several years to figure out that she was more mature than I was. Seriously. After four years of the Naval Academy, she was more mature than me at, well, she turned 17 that summer, two months after I met her. I, who, who could know that? Who could know that? Who could know that? But see, this is the thing I've taught because this is what God showed me. He made it very clear to me that you don't marry for emotions. The only determining factor is, is this person the will of God for me? And am I the will of God for them? Because if we are not each other's will of God, oh, Lord, not good. It's not good. It's not good because you know why? The best marriages it's ever been go through difficult times. And the ones that aren't the best go through really difficult times. And to know that you're in the will of God is the only way that you stick that out and you don't let that negatively affect you. Now, that doesn't mean the other person's not going to do the will of God because it's possible that the one that's meant for you doesn't do the will of God. God can take care of that. But the bottom line here is this. When I'm pursuing something based on feelings and emotions, or God forbid, on outward looks alone. Now, 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 she was beautiful at 17 or 16, and she's beautiful at 49. Her youngest just turned 40, uh, 30. Uh, her her young, oldest is about to be 48, so we're going to have to find something else because she just celebrated her. <laughs> her 19th anniversary of being 49, so hopefully you're not mathematicians. Uh, I like that song. You are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? You're everything I hope for. Everything I need. Like that? You are so beautiful to me. I've sung that a few times. But you know what the most beautiful thing about all that is? I made my decision based on the will of God. And God has taken care of the rest. I've said this. I mean this. She goes, aw. But I mean this. The Lord absolutely blessed me beyond measure when he gave her to me. He wasn't so kind to her. And she goes, oh, the problem is I mean that. 
because she has been far easier to live with than I've been to live with. But she survived because it was the will of God. It is not a negative thing to surrender to the will of God. Let me tell you something. Oh, Jesus. It is better to be single and at peace than to be married to somebody you shouldn't have been and live in torment, torture. I don't mean physically, but in here. Never having any assurance that this is all going to work out. Now, I will say this. The person you're married to might not have been God's will for you, but once you said, I do, they are. Literally. Now, you had a choice before you said, I do. After that, you don't. And so, surrendering to the will of God is after you are married. The Word of God says the will of God is the person you said, I do, to. Don't give, don't give me that look. <laughs> I recognize that look. Yeah. You know what? You have been through so many things. And you've not just survived them. You've been victorious with them. Don't blow it. You better make sure it's the will of God before you say, I do. It's too late afterwards. If it is the will of God, wonderful. If it is. If it's not. You know. (laughs) It's working right now. You shouldn't have given me that look. (laughs) I saw that look. Loneliness is very difficult to deal with. It is. Loneliness is, whew. Loneliness is painful sometimes. But trust me, there's something worse than loneliness. And don't let loneliness compel you to make a bad decision and do your will and not God's will. Peace. 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 I'm going to tell you something right now. Peace is absolutely the most wonderful thing in this world. I wouldn't trade peace to be able to do what I want to do, what I like, what I will what I want for anything. Does that mean that in a moment of not being conscious that I don't sometimes make choices that aren't the will of God? Yes. Yes. This is flesh. It's still flesh. It's not holy. It's flesh. But the issue is as soon as, as soon as, The realization comes, you did it again. 
Okay. Okay. Why? Because this is the deal. I started with this. I'm going to end with this. I think this is ending. Okay. Like I've said before, you can have a Navy landing or an Air Force landing. I was training to be a Navy pilot, but I do mostly spiritual Air Force landings. <laughs> Navy landings, you come up the opposite to the end of the runway. You come up to the end of it, and you do, when you get to the end, you do a, set it down. Right. Quick, clean, whatever. Air Force, they got to see the end of the runway about 10 million miles out there, get it all lined up, get it on this glide slope and come down. And if you connect it to the Air Force, God help you. I mean, <laughs> forgive me. I'm just having a little fun. Praise God. But I, so I, I think this is the end. So I'm going to come. We're starting on the glide slope. I picked up the signal. That there's a glide slope somewhere around here, so we'll we'll start we'll start down, right? The reason iniquity is the problem and not sin is because when I do not and not am not living in the surrender to the will of God, it is that condition of living by my own will. That produces the sin. So there's many days that this is the way I will repent or confess. Just like this. Lord, I confess my iniquities and the sins that those iniquities have produced. Blessed is the man whose, this is the, the New Testament version of this. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Why? Because iniquity is in here. I can't see iniquity. Because iniquity is me doing my thing. Coming and going as I want. Buying what I want, when I want. Doing what I want. And get this. I've given up so much for God, I deserve this. Oh, I have pastored people with that attitude too many times. Do you know what I've given up for God? That I deserve this. And whenever anything bad goes on in their life, you can know who lives in iniquity. God, after all I've done for you, you've let this happen to me. Those are the words of a worker of iniquity. The idea that I have done something to earn from God immunity from life and the things of life. That's the problem with iniquity. It doesn't need to be covered because that's what I do. I do all the covering of iniquity. I put all kind of labels on iniquity. Do you know how many of us pray? We think we're spiritual because we pray and we're praying prayers of iniquity. We pray to get God to do our will. 
We pray to get God to do what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We pray to get God to change stuff to fit what we think is best. And the problem is, people that pray prayers of iniquity, of self-will, they actually believe they're spiritual. I pray. Yes. Yes. We pray all right. We bring our, our, our prayers to God. Lord, I, I need you to take care of this and I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. I need you to give me that. I need you to change this. I need you to do all that. And now that I've told you that, I know you're busy, so I'm going to take all this with me and, 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 and watch over it till you get around to it. We think that's prayer. We honestly, truly think that's prayer. When we take our cares to God, and instead of leaving them there, when we get up and leave, we take them with us. But because we prayed, we are spiritual. Because we prayed. We prayed prayers of iniquity. We prayed prayers of our own will. We told God what we wanted Him to do, when we wanted Him to do it, how we wanted Him to do it. You know, it's like the... I, I never can remember the same two names, so I keep putting in whatever comes when I'm saying this. It's like the guy that was saying, Oh, Lord, who you want me to marry? Susie or Sally, but please let it be Susie. <laughs> what? You know the purpose of casting your care? Is to get Neutral. And what does neutral mean? Neutral means, God, whatever you want to do, I receive it and give you thanks for it. And I get neutral by casting my cares, which means I give up control of it. You know, when the scripture says, in Romans, I'm still on the glide path. When the scripture says, Romans 8.26, for we have an infirmity. Put it on the screen, please. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What is our infirmity? We, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. What does that mean? It means, I don't know the will of God. How am I going to pray and ask God for the will of God when I don't know the will of God? So, so here, here we are. Here we are. But the Spirit itself Maketh intercession for us which groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. And maketh intercession for uh, for the saints according to the will of God. So therefore, that's why for me personally, I'm going to pray in tongues Unless I have specific things the Lord has told me to pray in English. Now, those of you who have been around a while, you've known that I've gone through, I went through three accidents that just made it difficult for me to walk. Fell and tore all this up in 2015. Fell and tore my Achilles tendon in 2016. And my, was diagnosed with a bad knee that ended up needing surgery. But when that, all of that was over with, 
I believe God spoke to me that I will never use crutches again the rest of my life. I didn't ask for that. I believe he spoke that to me. Well, the other day I was in a situation and I was trying to get my leg out of a... a, a, uh, Well, anyway. And when I did, I tweaked something back here. And, oh, man, it hurt. I couldn't walk on it. I'm limping again. And the devil says, better get an appointment with the surgeon. Let him see what's wrong with that leg. That went through my mind. The next thing that went through my mind was, I have a promise. I have a promise. I'm never going to be on crutches again the rest of my life. So that means, Lord, that whatever I did to my knee, you're about to to fix it. Whether today, tomorrow, next week, next month, doesn't matter. You're going to fix it. And I began to thank him. For healing my knee because he revealed that was his will. I didn't ask for that. He revealed that. Well, that was three days ago. That night, I couldn't hardly lay in the bed. The next day, I couldn't hardly walk. Have you seen me have any problem walking tonight? That was very painful. I don't have any pain at all today. But I didn't ask for that. He said that to me, and I simply confessed what he said and believed it. Now, if he hadn't told me that, I would have to be praying, okay, Lord, that's the way I started out with. I give you this knee. I cast it on you. I cast this knee on you. That's what I did. Immediately after I did that, I started casting it on him. That's when he reminded me. I made you a promise. And what do you do with a promise? Well, I know what I do with a promise. I confess that promise. I was asked a couple of years ago to teach a national prayer seminar. And I said to the, to the very uh, nice lady who was asking me to do that, I said, Sister, you don't understand something. I can't come teach your prayer seminar. She said, why? Because I'm going to mess up everybody's thinking on prayer. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, uh, you've, got this, you've got this international prayer network, right? Yeah. So somebody's sick or there's somebody dying, and what do you do? Well, you, you send out a notification to all these prayer people so they can all pray. And what is the first thing they pray? They immediately begin to pray, oh, God, heal. Oh, God, raise them up. Oh, God, do this. I said, I got a question. It's appointed unto man wants to die. What if I'm praying for somebody to live? And that's not the will of God. So I'm going to pray for somebody not to die when it's not his will for them to live? Now, I can give you places in the Scripture where God told somebody they were going to die. And they, they prayed and God, because they pressed God, he let them live. And it was the worst thing that ever happened for them and their family. Well, I don't want to die. I don't, well, I'm not volunteering to die either. But I'm telling you this right now. I love her with every breath in me. Second only to Jesus. 
She's the one I want to please more than anybody else in this whole world. And she is my best friend. And I have demonstrated over and over again that even though I have friends and brothers and sisters that I love very much and enjoy being with them, if I have a choice to spend time with her or any family member or anybody else, she's the choice. Now, we didn't get there overnight, but we got there. But the problem, I said all that to say this. When it's my time to go, I don't want to stay here one second longer. And I have made the statement, don't be the person that prays me back from the dead. You do not want to be the person that prays me back from the dead. When I'm out of here, I'm out of here. Leave me out of here. When I cross the finish line, don't move me back a hundred yards from it and have me have to run that distance again. I don't want to do that. I remember preaching Chloe's funeral. She was two months and how many days? Twenty? Two months and twenty days. And I... I was waiting on the Lord. What am I supposed to say in this funeral? We, we've prayed. We believe. We, we've, we've given this baby to you when she was in the womb. And now she's born and, 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 and she's passed. What am I supposed to say? And this is what God said to me. Who defines what a full life is? If he sets the date of birth and he sets the day of passing, it doesn't matter if there's only a few minutes between the two. That's the full life for that person. If they live to be 102, that's the full life for them. It's the will of the Father. It's the will of the Father. Whatever the will of the Father is, whatever the will of the Father is, whatever the will of the Father is, because to want something else is iniquity. And when I live by iniquity, I open the door. For all of the children's sin that iniquity births. Iniquity is the father and the mother of every sin. Because every sin is a result of choice. And choice is a result of I will. I want. I like. Me. The unholy trinity. Me, mine, mine. Not trying to be funny. And when that's the way I live, then I open the door up in my life for all kind of things. And then the devil wants us to fight symptoms because he knows you and I cannot defeat the symptoms ourselves. For instance... For instance, choosing to do some, being overcome by some temptation is not the problem. It's when I put my, when I made the decision of my will to put myself in a position 
where I would be vulnerable to that temptation. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It is a lot easier by the grace of God to deal with my will when it's just between me and Him. And when I can get forgiven for my will that I haven't acted on yet. Get get forgiven for that. And He can help me give Him that will. It's a lot easier to deal with that between Him and I. Without all the complications of the actions that my will has produced. That sin piled on top of sin. That's piled on top of sin. That just weighs me down with guilt and shame and condemnation. And, 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 and I open myself up to this voice that says, it's hopeless. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to do this right. You might as well just quit. Give up. But it's a lie. Sister Wright, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And I'm going to remind you again what Jesus said. He said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. How would you like to do an interesting study? And it's a very involved one because there's a lot of times it's there. But if you have... A software or an app where you can, it, even if you don't have a whole bunch of books, but you just have a Bible that you can do a search on. Put in the words will, and, and depending on what, how your search works, will plus God or will plus Father. Or just will of. You put parentheses around will of. And it will bring up every place where the words will of is, regardless of who it is. And just begin to read down that. You don't have to figure them all out. But if you want to see how accurate this is, how critical this is, if you want to see how much weight the Lord put on this, just do that search and read those scriptures. And you will quickly find out that Jesus... And the apostles made this a big deal. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the King James says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Greek word there is logos. And the logos is who God became. So that the infinite God could relate to the finite. So Logos is not a separate God. He is the conduit through the, through which the eternal God relates to time and space. But another element of Logos is, it's the revelation of the will of God. It's the revelation of the plan of God. So when I do not do the will of God, it is a direct affront to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the revelation of the will of God, of the plan of God.
Now, I didn't teach these things so that you would be condemned or, and so you would feel bad. Because we all have to grow in Him to the place that He makes this an issue. He makes this an issue. You know, it, we call them the terrible twos. You know what it is that turns a sweet, sweet baby into a terrible two? Tell them no the first time. That's all you have to do to take your perfect baby and turn them into a terror. Tell them no the first time. Watch the reaction of that baby when you tell them no the first time. You will be shocked. I remember the first time I took care of David. And his mother asked me, said, are you sure you can do this? Well, yeah. What if he messes his pants? He's not very old. I can change the diaper. She looked at me. She said, you can. You haven't. It's not rocket science. I can do this. Well, I had to eat my words. Because she hadn't hardly been gone. And the smell appeared. And I laid him down on the bed and took his diaper off and turned to get the clean one to change it and discovered he wasn't done yet. Now, when she was changing the diaper because of my weak stomach at the time, especially, I made myself scarce. But the other reason was I didn't want to believe that something that smelled like that could come out of a child that I had anything to do with coming into this world. How, how could that be possible? It's not possible. Well, I thought that was shocking, but it wasn't shocking at all compared to the first time we told him no. He didn't go, yes, Father. Whatever you will, I will do what you want. Nah. No, it didn't go like that at all. No, it didn't go like that. No, it didn't go like that. No. And for sake of his mother, I won't tell you those stories of the battle of our will. But I've taught this many times in parenting. Don't take a stand unless you're prepared to win. Because the worst thing that can happen for your child is to tell them what they're going to do or not going to do. And they win. You let them win. God help you. Because it's not about who wins. It's about them learning to do what you tell them to do. Because if you don't train them to do your will. They will never learn to do the will of God. If you teach them that it's okay to always do what they want get what they want, do what they like, you let them grow up believing that, you tell me how in the world they're ever going to let God have His way in their lives. No wonder the Scripture says that if we spare the correction and chastisement that that child needs, we're sending them to hell. That's a paraphrase. How can the Lord say that? How can the Lord say that? 
because it is the parent's responsibility to teach the child how to receive no as a valid answer. That's not, that's, that will warp them in this world. Yeah, it does. It warps them. It makes them into good citizens. And who, who wants a kid that's a good citizen? No, we want our kids to grow up and be out of their minds like the many in this culture are. No, no, no. Father, you know our frame. You know it's made out of the dust of the earth. We know you pity us as a father pities his children. We know you love us. We know you're patient and long-suffering with us, and we give you thanks for that. Your patience is beyond comprehension. How in the world you could be so long-suffering with us, I... I do not comprehend, but thank you for it. Thank you for the many times, many, many times that you have put up with me when I did not deserve for you to put up with me. I thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that. I have spoken what you've given me to say this night. By your grace, I have not added to it nor taken away from it. I commit this word into the hearts and minds of your people. In Jesus' name, I commit this word to you and them. I pray, Father, that this word finds a lodging place in the good ground of their hearts. I speak the word of authority that an angelic hedge of protection would surround this heart and this word. That the adversary would not be able to come and steal this word out of their hearts. So that you might cause this seed from you to germinate in their hearts. That it might grow up and produce fruit in our lives to your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus name. I thank you for this word father. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for this word today. I pray that you give us grace to receive it, believe it, and act on it to your glory in Jesus' name. God bless you. That's it. That's all I feel to do. That's all I feel to ask you to do. Why am I not asking you to pray? Because I don't want you to pray for a few minutes here and pray away the conviction when you need to take this conviction home with you. I want you to take it home with you. God bless you. Greet one another on your way out the door. God bless you. Be safe going home in Jesus' name.